This episode of Ask a Biologist is being pulled from our special collections that have been stored in our secret vault. This is Ask a Biologist, a program about the living world, and I'm Dr. Biology. All right, for today's show, let's start off with a quiz to see if you can figure out what animal our guest has spent their career studying. The first clue? They've been around since the time the dinosaurs were walking on this earth. And of course, there are no dinosaurs today, but they're still around. This animal is also highly social, which means, among other things, they live in groups and they communicate with each other. The groups they live in are called colonies. All right, are you beginning to get the idea of what it could be? Okay, I'll give you another clue. They also pack a very wicked sting. Now, before you draw any conclusions, I want you to wait for it. The last clue. This animal lives in nests made of paper. Hmm, that last tidbit might have tripped you up. I bet some of you were thinking of bee colonies right up to that point. The animal is an insect, but it's not a bee. It's a paper wasp. Not sure what a paper wasp is? No problem. We'll learn about them today. My guest is Raghavendra Gadakar, a professor at the Center for Ecological Sciences and the Center for Contemporary Studies at the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, India. His work has been focused on the social evolution of wasps. This has led to the publication of several hundred papers, yes, that's hundreds, on these fascinating insects that make their homes out of paper. And it's not just any paper, it's paper made by wasps themselves. Raghavendra Gadakar, thank you for joining me on Ask a Biologist. You're welcome. Let's start things off with a little bit about our wasps and uh, how they're different and how they're the same as a typical honeybee colony. The wasps, unfortunately, have gotten a bad name, and I think that's very undeserved bad name. In fact, there's a German proverb which translates as follows. God made the bees and the devil made the wasp. <laughs> but the wasp is a wonderful creature. It stings if you disturb it. It doesn't sting if you don't. We've been studying wasps for over 30 years. We have seldom got stung when we were aware that we are dealing with a wasp. It is when you accidentally bump into a wasp, that's when you get stung. Okay, so what about the social wasp and the social bees? See, the most famous social bee, of course, is the honeybee. And the honeybee builds its nest from wax. Honeybees have a single large fertile queen, a small number of lazy drones, and a large number of small sterile female workers. In the wasps, you have some wasp species which are almost as sophisticated as the honeybee with a large queen. But the wasps I study are considered primitive in their social organization, in their achievements of their societies. Okay. And the interesting thing about these primitively social wasps is that there is no queen who looks different from the workers. So it's a bunch of female wasps. They all look alike. They're all very similar. One of them becomes the queen. Really? 
Okay. So in the earlier show, we talked also about the honeybee nests, and it was with Brian Smith. And he was talking about if you could take all the neurons that all the bees have in a colony, that all that processing power would be about the equivalent of a human brain. Of a human brain. What about a wasp colony? About the same. I don't think there's that much difference. But usually the number of individuals per colony is small in the primitive social wasps. But in the advanced social wasp, they can be much larger than in a honeybee colony. Hmm. And this is a very interesting sort of comparison. So what a advanced wasp society or a honeybee society is it has 50,000 little brains running around. We have one single brain, but there is an interesting trade-off. Because we have one brain, we have great power of integration. But our power of collection of information is very limited because it's just one piece. Right. We can only go in one place. That's right. Whereas the honeybees can go into hundreds of different places, gather information. But their powers of integration are limited compared to ours because then these worker bees have to talk to each other. They do talk to each other, but perhaps not as efficiently as one neuron in my brain talks to another neuron in my brain. You have these primitive wasps and the more advanced wasps. What is the difference? Now, I noticed you mentioned that it seems the first thing was on the primitive wasps, all of the females look the same, but one of them is the queen. Yes. But I have a feeling that looks are deceptive, that even though they all look the same, the queen is really a little bit different, either behaving different and probably even their physiologies are different. The queen definitely becomes different after she becomes a queen. She is rather like any other worker before she becomes a queen. In fact, in the species that I study in South India, I can take a colony, identify the queen, and experimentally remove the queen. Within minutes... I have one of the workers taking over. Within minutes? Within minutes. Wow. So there's no battle. There's no big vote going on that we can think of. All the processes that are required to elect a successor appear to take place before the queen dies. So I have a queen. You remove the queen. Within minutes, we get a new queen. What if you take that queen out? Do we have a new queen within minutes after that? Absolutely. So we remove the first queen, we have a second, we remove the second, we have a third, we remove the third, we have a fourth, we remove the fourth, we have a fifth, we remove the fifth, we have a sixth. And then my student said, it's not, no need to continue anymore. That's amazing. So they've actually set up a tiered system where they've decided who is first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Wow. And all the way down. And all the way down. And you can imagine that this is a very good strategy because you don't want to have an internal conflict when you have lost the head of your organization, when someone from the outside is, is trying to, to take over. So you want to have an extremely peaceful transition because the wasps are always subject to threats from outside. In fact, other wasps of their own kind are often waiting to take over. 
Oh, really? Yes, they, and they can take over. So if you are orphaned, so to speak, and then you have a conflict, then you are very vulnerable. And in the tropical environment which these wasps live in and where I live, the threats are much greater. And I think this settling of the identity of the several successive successors in peacetime, if you like, is an adaptation to this very nasty tropical environment. Right. So they're prepared. Well, what if I'm the second in line? I'm the next one to be the queen and I don't want to wait. How am I kept from becoming the queen? How do I not take over when there's a queen there? Or why don't I take over? Most of the time, we think that the queen is genuinely superior to the next one. And, but this will not go on forever. The queen will grow older. And when she becomes older, then of course she becomes inferior to the next one. And there is then a transition from the old queen to the new queen. But sometimes it happens that the old queen is still young and has a long time to go. But uh, by chance, the second one is actually ready too early. And then we have found to our great surprise that she can actually bring about a split in the colony and take a fraction of the of loyal workers with her, leave and start a new colony by herself. The other thing that was kind of curious to me, when you talk about social insects, we have a tendency to think, especially with bees, that the queen is in control of everything, that they coordinate everything and they're the whatever, the president, the queen, the king, the everything. Anything is going to run through them. But that's not really true with the bee colonies. In fact, we know that worker bees organize themselves. And we call this self-organization. And we call it decentralized rather than centralized. And we call it bottom-up rather than top-down. <laughs> this we have now known for some time. But until recently, we believed that, at least in the wasps, the queen is under control and it's top down. And we have found to our surprise, that's not true. Even in these little wasps, with a colony consisting only of 20 individuals, there is a self-organization amongst the workers. It is a decentralized control. And the queen is not a boss telling the workers what to do. Oh, so they're very similar to the honeybees. Yes. So how did you figure that out? In such species, it was believed that the queen uses physical aggression. By biting and chasing and bullying workers, she prevents them from becoming queens too early when she's still healthy. And she also makes sure they work. This was the wisdom at that time. And... We wanted to test this wisdom in our species of wasps in South India. We found to our surprise that the queen in our species is a particularly relaxed individual, shows no aggression, doesn't run around even interacting with the workers. She's in complete control as far as reproduction is concerned. Nobody lays eggs as long as she's alive. So we wondered how she manages to maintain this monopoly on reproduction. 
and we discovered that she actually has a chemical weapon through which she maintains this monopoly and prevents. So basically she can sterilize the workers with a chemical weapon. I see. But then we said, okay, that's fine. But how can she get them to work with a chemical weapon? You know, it's unlikely that I send a chemical signal and say, go and work. Why should the workers obey? So we started understanding how the workers work. And we found that even if you remove the queen, the workers continue to work. They bring food, they feed the larvae. And we have also now understood how those workers whose job it is to feed the larvae and who therefore have information about who is hungry, whether a colony is hungry, they then convey this information to the wasp working outside the colony and bringing food. And that's how they regulate each other's behavior. And the colony then brings food when they need it and stops bringing food when they don't need it. And the queen has no role in this. You actually brought up an important thing that we hadn't talked about. The same thing in the bee colony, there are different roles for the different bees. And partially it's due to age, what age they are. Do wasps have similar roles or do they have a whole different series of roles? Very similar roles. Young wasps work indoors as young bees do. And older wasps work outdoors as older bees do. But we have been able to show that this is not absolute age. The bees don't say, oh, I'm now three weeks old, I should go out. The wasps and the bees seem to have a way of finding out my relative to everybody else. Oh, I'm one of the oldest individuals, I should go out and work. Doesn't matter what my actual age is. I'm one of the youngest individuals, I better stay back and work at home. You can actually manipulate this. You can remove all the older bees then younger bees, who normally don't go out, start going out. You remove the young bees, the older bees who normally don't work at home, they start staying home and working. And the wasps, the same thing? Yes. Hmm. This is what we have shown with the wasps. Right. But very similar things happen with the bees. Okay. So there are no real battles between the females as far as becoming a queen. It's just a matter of... If one gets to be uh, superior to the existing queen, she might take a group of other wasps and go create her own yes. her own colony. Okay. Um, do you think that they avoid that because if they actually were aggressive with each other, it would be a problem for the colony itself? If they had all-out war amongst themselves, do, is this a bad thing? And they just figured this is a better way to move from... Uh, this may be the reason why they have evolved to do what they do. But simply from the perspective of wasp, what we find from our observation is that a worker does not challenge the queen unless there's a very good chance that she will win. Because otherwise she will just get killed. But when she is very strong, but the queen is super strong, that's when the best way is to leave. And if you watch these, it must be true that she has a complicated and long process of confidence building in several individuals who would be willing to leave with her. It's hard to imagine that they don't have these processes. We don't know how they do it. 
but clearly they must have a way of building confidence getting loyalty and each worker must decide will i stay with the old queen or will i leave with the new queen so we don't know that answer yet no but uh, for far too long people including biologists have thought of insects as sort of programmed mechanical robots not really thinking and i think that view is untenable anymore if you look at the kinds of things they do it's clear that they must have fairly complicated cognitive processes well the reason i mentioned that we don't know the answers and this is an important point because we don't have all the answers and so young scientists out there that are interested in the world of wasps there's still more to be learned a lot more to be learned oh there's a great deal more to be learned and it's all waiting there especially if you simply walk into the woods there are dozens of species and obvious questions biology is one field in modern science where you could still make fundamental discoveries simply by being an amateur or being a high school kid it is still possible to do it's probably much harder to do this in physics today at one time it was but biology is a completely open field but it's not happening enough because we teach biology mostly indoors and i think biology classes should be outdoors the biology teacher must take the kids for a walk in the garden in the woods anywhere and teach biology and then i think even high school kids can make new discoveries fundamental new discoveries when you were going to school did you learn your biology indoors or outdoors well i skipped many of my classes and stayed outdoors <laughs> <laughs> okay well you're not going to be a good role model as far as going to class but you're an excellent role model obviously as a scientist okay we'll let you get away with that <laughs> Um so you've been working and experimenting with wasps for how long now? I started as a hobby when I was just out of high school. And so that's when I was like 17 or 18 years old. But there was a long period when it was a hobby phase. And during that hobby phase I got myself a bachelor's degree in science zoology, a master's degree in zoology and a PhD in molecular biology. but all the time continuing to watch wasps on the side the equivalent of not going to the class but you know keep doing this and at the end of my phd i started seriously as a profession and as a profession i have been doing this for 30 years now wow and i noticed you have over 250 papers <laughs> yes wow so i you must like writing yes i have uh, written one book for I call it for anybody on the street particularly for young people. Which book would that be? The book is called Survival Strategies and it explains my whole field to the common man. I particularly written it for high school kids and undergraduate students and then I have written a more uh, advanced book about the life of the wasps themselves. And one of the interesting things about these wasps they're called paper wasps. Right? Yes. But it turns out that there are a lot of paper wasps, right? Yes. As a matter of fact, all, almost all of them are. All, all the, social the social ones are paper wasps. And again, the primitive ones make simple openness with uh, what we call a single comb, which is open and we can watch and we can study it. But the advanced ones make very large nests 
and they have several layers of paper comb and then they cover it with an envelope of paper leaving just a small opening for the wasps to fly in and out and uh, it can be the size of a football or even bigger and if you open envelope cover as i always say what you see inside is a multi story apartment complex <laughs> with several layers and all of these is actually housing for the young wasps unlike the bees the wasps do not store food the wasps are carnivorous they eat insects spiders and meat of various kinds but unfortunately they have not invented refrigeration so they cannot store food the bees eat nectar and pollen which can easily be preserved so the bees use their nests both to store food and to rear their young ones the wasps use their nests only to rear the young ones and they have to find their food every day i have an image of the the primitive wasp nest here and it really does look from you know any basic look it's a honeycomb it could be a bee honeycomb in the right. small shape i don't know that it's made out of paper and so that's the primitive one and actually in arizona we have the more advanced wasp nest they actually look like a giant almost round ball yes. you know and they have these beautiful layers to them so we say they're made out of paper are they really made out of paper these nests yes okay and you can easily watch wasps bringing cellulose fibers bringing water mixing them together making the pulp and keep applying that's why you see those layers because this is work done over many many days and inside that again of course there are these layers of comb and when the nest has to grow they actually have to tear down the outside put one more floor and then again cover up the outside hundreds and thousands of wasps are working several hours a day doing this it's very easy to watch them and this is a fascinating thing to watch when you've been observing an animal for this long and spent so much time doing the experiments what's the most amazing thing that you've ever seen a wasp do the most amazing thing that a wasp does is the following i remove the queen and a worker becomes starts to behave like a queen and as soon as i return the queen no questions asked she just goes back to working as she was before and lets the queen take over and this ability to do that i find absolutely amazing really yes okay the experiments you've been doing a lot of times people think of science as being an expensive thing to do and the question i have is do you have to spend a lot of money to do your research with your wasps almost no money almost no money i mean, i take particular pride if you if i can answer a question two ways one is without money and one is with money i will of course answer it without money and i think if you do science with less money you should give more credit to do that in fact for most of my experiments i need no money but i need observers i need eyes pairs of eyes and therefore i have a large number of students Ah, uh, they're priceless then, yes, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. And my students are passionate about this. And I think it's difficult not to be passionate. If a young person is given the opportunity to watch nature in action, it's very hard uh, for that person not to become passionate about it. And once you become passionate about it, that's when it becomes a hobby. 
Do you use video now? Are you using some video cameras? And Most to... of the time I use videos in order to tell other people I want to come to Arizona and give a talk to the students here of what WASP in Bangalore do, then of course I need a video. So I use video more for documentation, for telling others, but the actual data collection I find is much better done manually than through videotape. And my attitude towards uh, technology is that use it when you need it. Don't let the technology decide what you should do. You decide what to do. And if the question I want to answer requires technology, I'll use it. If it doesn't require technology, I will not use it. Right. With Ask a Biologist, I never let my scientists leave without answering three questions. Okay. The first one is, when did you first know that you wanted to be a biologist or a scientist? Now, I know when you first got hooked on your wasps, but when did you really know you were going to be a biologist? Uh, long before that, actually. Because uh, when I was very young, as long back as I can remember, I used to collect insects, I used to collect tadpoles, I used to bring creature frogs and keep them at home. I also had a fair amount of free time at that time. I think it's very important for young people. We need to motivate young people and give them free time. What we do is we keep them so busy with structured education that there is no time for innovation. We need to motivate them and then leave them free for them to innovate. I had a lot of time and I used to collect these things and have my own collection, have both live animals and dead animals at home. So for as long back as I can remember, I've been wanting to be a scientist and particularly a biologist. Did you have a particular science teacher or friend or family member that helped you along the way? One teacher and one family member. In India, when at the time I had to make this decision, you could only specialize in three subjects and not four as they can do today. So I had to choose between a combination of physics, chemistry, and mathematics and no biology, or physics, chemistry, and uh, biology and no mathematics. And this was hard for me because I wanted all of them. But I had to make a choice. And I had almost made the choice of physics, chemistry, and mathematics. And then there was a biology teacher who was helping organize a student-based exhibition. So students in the ninth grade were had projects and they had to go off to the university and display their projects and compete for a prize. And I was one grade lower than that and was not allowed to do this. And it turns out that one of the students who was supposed to do this dropped out for some reason. And this biology teacher picked me up and said, why don't you participate in this? And that was the turning point. Wow. And I participated in this. I got a prize, and then there was no kickback. All because one student dropped out. One student dropped out. So there's the role of chance. And then I had an uncle who was a veterinary doctor. And I was so impressed that right in his office, he had a microscope which I had never had access to at that age. And he would let me go and play with, his, with the microscope. So I would pick up dirty water from ponds and from various places and watch it under the microscope. And that made a huge difference. It's amazing what's living in that water, yes. isn't it? We talk about exploring outer space, but inner space, these tiny worlds, there are some of the most fantastic things there that anybody could imagine and not imagine, better than any movie. Okay, you're a famous 
biologist. You're a famous biologist that knows probably more about wasps, certainly these paper wasps, the primitive form, but I'm going to take it all away from you. Okay. You can no longer be a biologist. I'm not going to let you teach either because a lot of my biologists want to shift into teaching. So what I'm going to let you do is be anything or do anything you would want if you couldn't be a biologist or a teacher. I'd either be a writer or an actor. Or an actor? Yes. What kind of an actor would you be? Theater, not film. Did you ever do any acting when you were a In student? In school, yes. Yes, I did some acting and I did some writing and... Uh, and I would be as passionate about them as I am of, uh, at being a biologist. Now, did you have a favorite role when you were acting, some character that you did that you can remember? My teacher's wife. Your teacher's yeah. wife? Yes. <laughs> you played the role of your teacher's wife? That's correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that is challenging. And, and did, did you do a good job? Yes, I did. I got a prize. Oh, you got a prize. <laughs> yes. All right. All right, the last question is a little bit easier, and you've touched upon this already. What advice would you have for a young scientist or someone that decided that they picked the career that they thought they would like, but they realized they really are a biologist? What advice would you have for them? It's never too late to change your career, never. And if you are passionate about some subject, then you have always have a special advantage over others who have taken it as a part of a structured career. You always look at it differently. So it's never too late. And if you cannot plunge into a career change, it doesn't matter. I think 24 hours a day is far more than most of us use effectively. It's entirely possible for people to have a double career. So to start off on a new career and let the circumstances make it possible for you to entirely plunge into a new career. Most of us, I think, do not use our time effectively. We have enough time for a second career. Well, I want to thank you for joining me on Ask a Biologist. Thank you very much, Dr. Biology. You've been listening to Ask a Biologist, and my guest has been Raghavendra Garakar, a professor at the Center for Ecological Sciences and the Center for Contemporary Studies at the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, India. We've been talking about his study subject, the amazing paper wasp. The Ask a Biologist podcast is produced on the campus of Arizona State University and is recorded in the grassroots studio housed in the School of Life Sciences, which is an academic unit of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. And remember, even though our program is not broadcast live, you can still send us your questions about biology using our companion website. The address is askabiologist.asu.edu, or you can just Google the words Ask a Biologist. I'm Dr. Biology.